0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church sermon podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Praise the Lord. You know, I, I'm gonna, I've am i forgotten to dismiss the children. We'll do that here in just a second. I just want to say, you know, on a busy Sunday like this, when we're talking about so many things, whether it's something silly or light, like handing out gift cards, talking about a chili cook-off, uh, whether it's business, talking about tithely, talking about uh, building the website, to taking up the offering, praise and worship, uh, it is all about him, isn't it? Every bit of that goes right back to Jesus at the center. Fellowship, the the linking and the the joining together that takes place through the building of fellowship over the breaking of bread. And the reaching of the world that takes place through things like maintaining the website, social media. And then, of course, uh, the necessary and biblical work of giving and supporting the kingdom and doing it and making it uh, possible for people to do that in the way that they do everything else with their money. It's all about Jesus. Praise God. What a great song. Thanks for blessing us with that yield. Teachers and students, off you go to Sunday school. And everybody else, here we are in this year of giving. As I mentioned, uh, that's been the theme of our fast if you've been here since the beginning of the year you know that we start off the year with three weeks of laying something aside laying something aside uh, in the natural in pursuit of something supernatural remember we don't fast to get God's attention on us we fast to get our attention on God and I hope he's been speaking things to you as individuals and and as families about some things not necessarily just about giving but I hope you've been making that a part of your prayer your personal prayer and your family devotions to see if there's anything that God would have you to do change, tighten up, whatever, uh, but we've been talking about this as we've designated this a year of giving, remembering that this isn't about getting you to give more for this year any more than uh, last year was, we're just going to get you to pray more for one year, it's about seeing giving, as last year we focused on prayer as part of the normal Christian walk, right, and uh, just doing some focused teaching on it for a few weeks. Last week, we looked briefly at the tithe. Uh, And what we were really looking at is the tithe as a law versus the tithe as a principle. Because we saw that the principle was in place long before the law. We saw Abraham bringing a tithe to Melchizedek. We saw Jacob vowing a tithe of all uh, long before uh, God delivered the law through Moses. Uh, And we also see that Jesus... uh, Actually, we see the same thing with offerings, not just the tithe. We see Cain and Abel bringing... Uh, bringing offering to the Lord before offerings were uh, nailed down into anything like a law. But we also read in the New Testament where Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, yeah, here you are, you're making a big deal out of uh, tithing. Uh, And uh, you should do that, he said. You should tithe, but you should focus also more on mercy, love, and justice. And uh, so Jesus affirmed the tithe, But what we really zeroed in on last week was the statement that Jesus made where he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will be. Now again, just a a brief reminder, uh, in one sense, where your treasure is shows you where your heart is. But if you continue to invest your treasure in that place, that's where your heart will be, where it will remain. If you can examine your heart and say with all honesty, uh, my heart isn't in the right place. My heart should be more in the kingdom of God. Perhaps one of the things you need to do is to redirect your treasure. Because when you are invested in something, truly invested in something, you are absolutely going to be more passionate about its growth and about its success. And that absolutely goes for the kingdom of God, and it goes for this church. All right? So here's a couple of things we need to look at today. Uh, and the first one is how do we put our treasure into the kingdom of God? We can't write checks to heaven. We know that, right? Uh, so obviously what we're doing is looking for ways to honor God with our finances. We'll come back to the how much here, uh, at the, a little bit later, uh, by looking at the passage that I really wanted to look at last week. But one obvious way to put our treasure in the kingdom of God is to support ministries that are doing the work of preaching the gospel. Listen, you've heard me talk about this before, uh, i don't know in specifically what reference but it's something that's near and dear to my heart there are some great organizations out there relief organizations all right charities uh perhaps they're performing uh, medical services for underprivileged people they're building homes uh feeding the poor or yeah, feeding the hungry clothing the naked doing these things and they're doing good work all right but we as Christians, at the end of the day, I think we have a scriptural mandate and an obligation, if we are going to support ministries, to, if at all possible, do it, throw our support behind organizations that are doing these things in the name of Christ. All right? I believe in the dignity of, of human beings. All, we, we, are, we, are all, we all are image bearers of the Creator. All right? And so I believe in feeding the poor, feeding the hungry, all right, uh, giving to the poor, period. But what I'm saying is if there are two organizations who are doing essentially the same thing, and I know this is a simple way of looking at it, and sometimes things are more complicated, uh, but one organization is doing this In the name of Jesus Christ, making the gospel known and making sure the people know, hey, this is coming from a heart of worship to Jesus. Jesus is at the center of this. And the other one is just doing this saying, hey, we're all the family of man and we have to look out for one another. Uh, It should be a no-brainer. Okay? Because I believe in filling a man's belly. I believe in in the dignity and worth of human beings. But I also believe that man is eternal. Eternal. And that no matter what their immediate felt need is, there is nothing, nothing, nothing they will ever need more than the gospel. They need salvation, and that is only found in the name of Jesus Christ. And so that really is our primary obligation. And and it's not just a matter of using food and clothing and money as tools. It really is about feeding them and clothing them and helping them because we love them. But if we love them enough to feed them and clothe them, do we love them enough to save their eternal soul? Because there are organizations that are doing a top-notch job of getting food and clothes out there, and the people they're feeding and clothing are going to go to hell unless somebody else steps in and shares the gospel. There you go. So... Uh, so one of the ways that we honor God with our finances and put our treasure in the right place is to support ministries that are doing that work. And they are all over the place. And praise God, there are good ones. And praise God, we as a church are connected with excellent ones, right? So, uh, now I don't want to get too much into this. It's something we can look at in detail a little further down the road. I really need to get into something else today. But I will say this. Uh, you can look at the Old Testament, uh, and, and it's, pre- it's pretty well spelled out. Uh, it is also spelled out in the New Testament. I'm just not going to give you a lot of lists of scriptures today because we will it, it would spend too much time. But I challenge you on this principle, and it's not a very politically correct one. In the Old Testament, when it talks about... Uh, and, and we can break this down later because it is worth looking at. But when the tithes and the offerings, when the things that were brought into the storehouse, as it says in Malachi, those things were, uh, they were for uh, the, the, the care and the maintenance of, of the Levites and, and the temple activity. But it was also for the care of widows and orphans. Alright? But it wasn't for the care of widows and orphans in gentile lands the storehouse wasn't there to feed the the midianites or the canaanites right or the philistines or the babylonians or anybody else it was there to feed god's kids god's family and the nice thing was built right there into the law is hey you want to get on again on this great provision and this great care join us be circumcised, submit to the law, and you, you, you who are strangers can be part of this nation. This is kind of the same thing in the church. Now Paul writes, uh, hey, hey, do good unto all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. It might seem a little insular, it might seem a little snobbish, but the fact is our first obligation is to one another. Not that we can't bless the world. But again, when we're blessing the world, we bless them from a heart uh, where Jesus is at the center of it all, right? Okay. Now, um, again, there are great Christian organizations doing great work uh, that are certainly worthy of our support. Uh, And there are perhaps ministers and ministries that have had a particular impact on you and your Christian life. And and maybe they are ministries that we don't support as a church. And so you, uh, because they're near and dear to your heart, you support them. That's fine. I encourage that as well. On top of that, I want you to see this. Speaking of the poor, uh, it says in Proverbs chapter 28. He who gives to the poor will not lack. But he who hides his eyes will have many curses. In Proverbs 19, verse 17, says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. So use wisdom, but be generous. Talking about this is, I'm tying that in. We support uh, agencies, uh, preferably Christian agencies that are helping the poor doing the work of, of the Lord, preaching the gospel, so that we support ministries that have blessed us, that bless others. And one of the other way, other ways, what I'm bringing those two verses out for, another way that we get our treasure into the kingdom, is to have pity on the poor, to give to the poor. But I will also want you to see these two verses, both of them, open another can of worms. There's almost a dirty little question we have to confront, and this goes back to, uh, I'll share with you a brief story of my first short-term mission trip, I went with YWAM down to Mexico back in 1983, I think it was, 83 or 84, and uh, we were down there in the Monterrey, Mexico area, and it was really kind of cool the way they had it set up, and I don't know how many of you are familiar with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and I don't know how many of you know Brother Bill Burtness, he was the leader of this trip, and in the mornings we would have a nice little Bible class, uh, and, and Bill Burtness was a tremendous teacher. I learned a lot from this guy. And I could tell you so many funny stories and, and things that would uh, make a... Uh, you know, something that, that I think constitutionally, I mean, ter- in terms of my personality, something I was a little able more to roll with than somebody like my dad would be because it was a very kind of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of operation. But there was something gloriously uh, exciting about the whole thing. But when we got there... We settled into this routine where we would go out in the afternoons and knock on doors and invite people to meetings, share with them, pray with them, deliver Bibles. But during one of these morning sessions, uh, uh, Bill Burtness was training us to share the gospel, not just in Mexico, but back home. And he said, when, when you have these conversations with people, you will come often to the point when you're sharing your faith with an unbeliever where this question is a very common question. And it basically goes like this. Why should I become a Christian? They might respect the fact that you are a Christian. They might not want to fight you on that. But when they ask you, why should I become a Christian? And here's what he asks us, and here's what I'll ask you. What is another way of asking what they are asking? What are they asking, really? Who's, what? What's in it for me? What is in it for me? Now... Uh, he went on to explain how that he really felt that was the wrong question. And I get where he was going, and I agree with that perspective. What he's basically saying is, the question should not be what's in it for me. The question should be, what is truth? Uh, why should I become a Christian? Well, ultimately you should become a Christian because God is exactly who he has revealed himself to be through his word. Jesus Christ is In in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. He really is exactly who the Bible says he is. God really did raise him from the dead. Therefore, since it's true, you should become a Christian. I agree with that. However, I still think what's in it for me is a legitimate question. And let me just start by saying this in my defense of that statement. God is love. And love gives. God's perspective is, what can I do for you? And there's nothing he can't do. And there's nothing he has withheld. The God of the universe has made all of his goodness, all of his provision, all of his power available to us. Why? Because he loves us. Is there anything in it for God when we become a Christian? Yes, there is. Why? Because he loves us and desires to be in right relationship with us. It was for the joy of that reconciliation that Jesus Christ endured the cross. The torture of the cross, Jesus says he, he, it says that Jesus endured that because he could look on the other side of that cross and see that because of the work he was doing on the cross, we would be reconciled to God. And he loves us that much. That that was the joy that caused him to endure the cross. So there is something in it for God. But let's don't kid ourselves. There's more in it for us. Just being saved, there's more in it for us. And God doesn't hide that. He does not say, worship me because I'm real and because I'm true and no other reason. What does he say? Worship me because at my right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And he promises this, he promises that. And he doesn't say, have pity on the poor. He doesn't say, give to the poor. He says, if you have pity on the poor, you're lending to me, and I'll repay you. He says, if you give to the poor, you won't lack. He is bold with these promises. It's not selfish. You know, frankly, it's unreasonable not to consider what's in it for me. Because even in in the most famous passage, the one we read last last week in Malachi. Bring the whole tithe. You've robbed me. You are under a curse because you've robbed me. Now bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Not just for the removal of the curse, but what? He says, test me now on this and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing there's not room enough to contain. He didn't have to promise that. He could have just said, you're under a curse and you're going to continue to be cursed till you bring the tithe. At least if you bring the tithe, I'll stop the devourer for your sake. But no, he's going to do more than that. And he wants us to know he's going to do more than that, right? So, when we, are, when we look at giving like that, the other, the other angle that, that, that comes into that is the idea of sowing and reaping, which the Bible talks a lot about, and we're going to look at a passage that mentions that here in a little bit. But we sow into the kingdom of God. It is not selfish. It is not pagan or heathen or anything else to expect to harvest or reap from the kingdom of God. I was sharing this, the three laws of the harvest with the rangers for our devotional last week at Royal Rangers. Uh, You guys know what the three laws of the harvest are. You you know them whether you know them or not. Any rangers remember? You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. And you reap after you sow. Goes for anything, right? If I sow one piece of corn, I'm going to reap. I'm not going to reap... Uh, uh, apples. It's going to be corn. I sow corn. I reap corn. But if I sow one piece of corn, I reap a couple ears of corn. But I reap it later. So if you take this attitude, well, I haven't really got much to give. Uh, when I when I reap, then I'll then I'll sow. No, sowing comes first. Sowing comes first. You'll reap later. You'll reap after. All right. We want a formula. I'll get to that in a second. Let me go ahead and make sure I get to the part I want to get to and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is a really interesting passage. There are are two whole chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9, where what's happening is it's one long offering message. Paul is is taking up a collection. He's getting ready to come to Corinth, and he's telling them, hey, I'm going to take up an offering when I'm there. Uh, I want you guys to be setting aside money. So that you're not scrambling around for it, set aside between now and then. Uh, and he's taking this offering back to the church and the saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and he wants it to be a big one. So he's giving them a heads up. He assures them that the gift will be administered properly. He tells them that he's already boasted to others about how generous they were. The whole passage is really worth reading. Um but, and we really could, but I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'll, we'll just look at this. In St. Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6, he says this, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always, having all all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness." While you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by prayer and by their prayer for you who long For you, because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You should at least highlight verses 6 through 8, because that really, I think, is the gold standard for New Testament giving. Instead of measuring out the tithe, let each give as he purposes in his heart and do it cheerfully. But done, this is all in the context of, hey, you want to you wanna sow sparingly? That's fine. But you'll reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. He say, well, Scott, we can sow other things too. We can sow mercy. We can sow our time. Uh, we, can, we can sow, uh, uh, and, we, and we start getting spiritual. That's fine. You're absolutely right. We can. But this passage is talking about money. Read the whole, you thought, well, we, we've got to keep it in context. Read it, I'm not taking anything out of context. Read the whole passage. He is talking about an offering he's taken. Yeah, absolutely we can sow other things. We can give of other things. But let's don't leave money out of it. And so when he said, now listen, here's how. here's what a lot of people want to make this verse say. And when we look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, but we're not talking about money. When he says all sufficiency in all things, he really means all things except for money. That's not what he's saying at all. If anything, he's talking specifically about money. Now, if you want mercy... So, mercy. But if you want to increase financially, then so financially. Oh, here we go. We're talking about the hundredfold return now, aren't we? No, we're not. I'm going to address that here in a second. Not in a second, but in a few minutes. Very few minutes. Look back here at uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. Uh, and we'll look at this and just uh, read a couple verses here in verse 7 it says but as you abound in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge in all diligence and in your love for us see that you abound in this grace also I speak not by commandment but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others what, what grace is he talking about? It's all about the grace of giving So when we say, well, the main thing is we've got an abundance of love. We've got an abundance of faith. We're committed to one another. We're diligent. We study the word. Paul says, that's great. Just as you're you're, uh, uh, excelling in those things, excel in this gift too. You do this. Excel in this grace. You're doing all those other things great. got to give too. Now, the first thing I want you to see in this passage, one of the things I want you to see in this passage anyway, uh, is that there is no mention of the tithe in this passage. In this, this is a uh, kind of a new way of looking at giving. But when we tie that in with what we've said before about the law, you know, it's like, oh, good, we read this whole. There's two chapters in here. Nothing about the tithe, so we don't have to tithe anymore. You're missing it. You're missing it. The message here is grace. The message here is as you are led. It's as you purpose in your heart. But when we look at the everything, we've looked at this. We looked at this last week. We've looked at it many times. When we look at the law. What was the law? Thou shalt not murder. What was the New Testament? Raised the bar, didn't he? If you hate your brother, if you call him a fool, you've already committed murder in your heart. What was the What was the Old Testament law? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What was the New Testament? You shouldn't even look at a woman to lust after her, or you're already an adulterer. So, all right, the Old Testament is tithe. What's the New Testament? Give as you purpose in your heart. And if your heart, in your heart, you are not purposing to give at least a tithe, this is one of those issues where I firmly believe we need to examine our heart and figure out where our treasure is. Because my heart, frankly, is to give a lot more than 10%. I don't know if there's a person, maybe there is, now, I don't want to lump everybody together, but I doubt there's a person, and it's tough. When, you're, when you drive down the road in Urbana or Champaign or anywhere, and there's a billboard that says the Mega Millions jackpot is up to $400 million, is there anybody who has never thought for just a moment, what would I do with $400 million? You start thinking about that, it'll tell you a lot about where your heart is. And you don't have to be a super a super saint to think. I mean, I think it ought to be just, it ought to be just part of the, of the believer's heart. Some, anybody who loves Jesus who thinks about having access to those kind of resources think about the ministries we could fund. What could the tithe off of that? What could Living Word Fellowship? What could Living Word Family Church do with that? What could uh, Pregnancy Resource Center do with an extra one million dollars this year? Greta, think you could find a way to spend that? Paula, yeah. And you start thinking about all these other ministries, the difference you could make for the gospel. That'll tell you where your heart is. So Where, where I land, I guess, is if, uh, if I'm looking at the law, I say that don't kill somebody is the bare minimum of obeying that commandment. As a believer, my, I ought to be, what I ought to be aiming for is to love my enemy and pray for them and bless them. Not killing them is literally the least I can do. As a Christian, what I ought to be aiming for is to be abundantly supplied so that I can be an abundant source of supply, so that I can give to every good work. The minimum I can do is tithe. All right. Now, where does it go? Where is the storehouse? If we are to bring the tithe into the storehouse... And again, I'm not advocating that we're under the tithe anymore... But a lot of people want to say, well, okay, if, 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 if we're supposed to tithe as believers... And again, I think the tithe really is the minimum... Then what's the New Testament equivalent of a storehouse? I think that might be a mistaken way of looking at it... Since we're not really looking at the tithe... Uh, and some people say, well, obviously, the storehouse is the local church not according to an awful lot of good scholars, okay? But I think, again, we're asking the wrong question. When we look at the storehouse, and, there's, and, and I'm not trying to shortchange you, I'm not trying to rip you off, the, the tithe in the Old Testament is a pretty complicated study because there were tithes, there were yearly tithes, there were every three-year tithes, there were every other year tithes, and they, they were for different things. Uh, but the, the, the short version is that the excess of tithes and offerings were stored for distribution to Israelites in need and uh, stored up against uh, famine and things like that. The tithes were primarily for the upkeep of the temple and uh, for the livelihood of the Levites, as I mentioned earlier. And so if you're talking, when we look at this and think, wow, you look at the money that's in this building. And we've got a staff with salaries. That is entirely biblical. And New Testament too, by the way. Paul said those who preach the gospel should get their living from the gospel. I don't apologize for drawing a paycheck from the church. All right, And you should not look at these lights and our facility here and think we should just be meeting in an open field somewhere and if it rains, everybody should bring umbrellas. That way, look at all the extra money we could give to the poor. Look at all the extra money. God is able to make all grace abound to you in all things so we would have all sufficiency in all things. He does not This building does not offend God, I promise you. There were poor people in David's day that God loved and desired to feed, but he was not offended at, at what amounted to multiplied billions of dollars being poured in to make a temple, or for that matter, a palace. I think your pastor should live in a palace. No, I'm kidding. That's not at all where I'm going the bottom line for me is where it has always been. I give according to these principles. Number one, as led by the Lord. Number two, I give the bulk of my support to that which has supplied the bulk of my spiritual need, and that has always been the church that I belong to. And I give as an expression of the value I place on the ministry gift that is in my presence. Uh, and, and, and I'll give. there's many ways to interpret that. I say this just as kind of to guard your heart against... Uh, it's very easy to look at some very public uh, personalities, famous preachers, megachurch pastors, and you look at their lifestyle. Listen, I'm not up here to defend anyone in particular. I'm certainly not up here to attack anybody in particular. All right? But when people will point at a particular minister, and I don't, I've got several individuals in mind, but there's nobody, no one person in particular that I'm thinking of right now. But I I just heard it again and again. And listen, they they stand before God. There's some things that I I think personally that that would be hard to defend. It's just not my business. I'm thinking about things like this. Uh, And now I am thinking of a guy. I got into this conversation with a guy years ago who said, you know, this guy drives a, and I can't remember what kind of car it was. Maybe it was a Rolls Royce. It was a car that was worth a couple hundred thousand dollars. He says, and his people, they continue to give. And this is what they're doing with the money. But, you know, just a tiny bit of research will tell you that this pastor did not take church money and buy a car with it. In the the particular case I'm thinking of, the congregation purchased the car for him as a gift. Now, it's one thing. If you're telling people, we need to raise a million dollars because we need to buy, this is what it will take to get a plane load of food to people who are going to die in 30 days if we don't, and then you take half that money and you buy something else with it, that's fraud. That's ripping people off. But if you're doing the work of the ministry and people just love you and they want to bless you, this happens all the time. I got no problem with that. You guys want to buy me a car? No, that's that's not where I'm going either. Listen, all joking aside, you guys take great care of me. I am blessed. Thank you. Don't get, and again, I'm not saying that everything every minister does or has done or has is right. I'm just saying don't fall for the caricature. Don't fall for the these blanket accusations, all right? God loves his kids and loves to see them blessed. He loves to see us bless one another. Don't get hung up on that stuff. If I put a value on a guy and it's within my uh, uh, capability to bless him, I'm going to bless him. All right? I don't need accounting of every single thing. I'm just going to bless him because they've been valuable to me. Now, I'm trying just to get you to enjoy the freedom that comes from not sweating the details of the law, but giving from a spirit of giving. Giving generously, freely, joyfully. Here's the thing. And this is where we talk about the hundredfold return. We want a law, whether we say we do or don't. We want one. We want a verse that says, if you give me 10%, I will give you 100 times that every time. We want that formula, don't we? How about this instead? Because I think this one is absolutely scriptural. If I give faithfully and generously, he will supply me abundantly. Anybody have a problem with that? You know what I like about it? Oh, man, the formula's safe. The formula's nice and tight because, man, that, but the, the, if, the, if the formula, the law there, that's what allows me to manipulate God. And this is something we're, we're all prone to doing during a fast. Very easy to fall into that. Oh, God, you need to hear my prayer now. I haven't touched sweets for now two weeks. Now do what I want. And when we give... Here's my $10, Lord. I'm trusting you to multiply that by 100. Which would be like $100, right? No, I'm kidding. Now, listen, I told you this story. Back when I first uh, was hearing the message of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping, this was exciting news to me because I never heard it. We were down at Raymond. Dad was a Raymond student. I know I've shared this with you. I'm going to share it again. Uh, and it was at the first uh, summer that I was at a camp meeting. And somebody was talking about how uh, you know, some some thirty, some sixty, some hundredfold. Now, whether that was that verse, I'm not going to get into parsing that passage. But this was the big teaching at the time: you give, and you can expect a hundredfold return on your giving. And I thought, oh man, that's exciting. I had done a babysitting job for a neighbor as a last minute. Do we really need somebody to watch our kids? And 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 Dad, I think, is the one who pulled me aside. They are really hurting financially right now. It would really be a blessing if you just go over there and do that for them. They might pay you. They might not. Don't say anything to them about it. So I went, and they were out late. It was a long time. I was there several hours, and, of course, they didn't give me a dime, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I, I, I wasn't as, I was nice to them, but in my, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, it was really hard to do this as, as, as unto the Lord. But at camp meeting, maybe a week, maybe two weeks later, I don't know, it was, it, it was probably even longer than that, they talk about, they take up the offering, and somebody mentioned the hundredfold return, and I thought, oh, well, if I had anything to give, oh, looky there, I got a dime in my pocket. I threw it in the offering plate, and on the way out, the guy of that meeting, the guy who, uh, the father of this family that I had uh, watched their kids, gave me an envelope, and I opened it up. There's just a short note that says, Scott, we appreciate the great job you did for us recent, recently. You're a blessing, and a $10 bill. Now, that was cool. That was exciting to me. And that was, that was directly from God as far as I was concerned. And I would love to tell you, if you've struggled with this, if, if, if tithing has not been part of your regular service to the Lord, I would love to tell you, the day you put a $10 bill in that offering plate is the day you get $1,000 from God. I can't tell you exactly how it's going to happen. All right, here's what I can tell you. You give faithfully and generously, and God will supply you abundantly. That's what he has promised. Now, if you want to say, thanks all the same, Scott, but I'm getting by just fine without tithing and giving offerings. Here's the thing. Here's two things. Praise the Word, team. You, you can be coming on and up. I'm leaving you with this challenge here. Two things I will say in response to that attitude. And one is, What does how well you're doing without tithing have to do with obeying God? Never mind the tithe. What about giving? What about giving generously? What about giving sacrificially? What about giving faithfully? All the things that the New Testament clearly does say about giving. You say, well, I don't need to because I'm fine. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about obeying God. Second is, you don't know which way the wind blows. You don't know what's going to happen. The devourer can come in many forms. And he'll rebuke the devourer for the sake of the one who has faithfully honored him with his finances. No matter how good, how well off you are now, any number of things could steal your well-being tomorrow. And if all you got to go on is, well, I've been doing okay without tithing up until now, it's kind of, you know... It's one of those conditional promises. He supplies seed to the sower. Right? If you're not a sower, you've cut off that source of supply. And it's kind of one of those deals where where we see it's kind of this uh, bootstrap mentality again. And it's why some people refuse to get saved. I don't need need church. I don't need religion. I don't need the Bible. I'm a good person. I've never stolen from anybody. I take care of people. Well, you're leaning on your own righteousness. I'd much rather trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. You might be doing a great job of working, of saving. Uh, I think it was Wesley who, who made these suggestions. Earn all you can. Give all you can save all you can, spend what you have to. Now, there's, we might be blowing it in any one of those areas. But you might be one of those who's like, I earn all I can. I do a good job of earning money, but I earn it. It's mine. Is it really? Is the good health you enjoy to do that work, to earn that money, does that come from you? Or are you healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ? Who is your ultimate source of supply? It all comes from him. He has a claim on all of it. And if you want to argue against the tithe, that's fine. I won't argue with you. Don't tithe. Give 20%. Give 30%. But you really should consider that a good starting place. God will not fail you in this. And praise God, just like anything else, he doesn't say, give. And if we say, why? Why? He doesn't say, because I said so. He could, couldn't he? But he doesn't. He says, "Uh, because when you give, it opens up the door for me to give back to you even more. And that's what my heart is, says our Father God. I really want to bless you in every area, including this one. Here's how you open the door for this blessing in your life. You give. And watch me out give you. Praise God. Stand up with me this is what we're praying about this among other things we want to focus on this during the fast uh, uh, and during this year of giving as we uh, kind of alluded to earlier in this service uh, there's much more to the Christian walk than, than, than just this but giving really is at the heart of the gospel and when God calls us to believe calls us to worship him calls us to bow our knee He's not just saying because I said so. He's not just saying because I'm God. There really is something in it for us. The only reason, the only way it is possible for us to give our hearts to Christ, the only reason that makes any sense is because God gave Christ to us. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.